0: Hello everybody, this is Scott Yates, Director of Communications and Producer Relations for the Washington Grain Commission, here with episode 204, or what I'm calling Bad Weather Makes for Good Podcasts, about my fifth, count them, fifth episode with Jeremy Wolfe, meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Spokane, Washington. Speaking of which, I encourage you to go back and listen to my four previous podcasts with Wolf. Episode 25 was my first time interviewing him and was posted on June thirteenth, 2017. It was titled, The Other Weatherman, a nod to the fact Art Douglas, who speaks at Farm Forum every year, is referred to as The Weatherman. Episode 39 was posted just a few months later, based, as I recall, on the fact that episode 25 had gotten a lot of listeners, and I wanted to capitalize on the interest. It was posted September 19th, 2017. It didn't do as well as the original, so I waited until October 16th, 2018, more than a year later, to post another episode with Wolf. The title this time was... Wolf's Guide to wacky Northwest Weather. I like this episode a lot because I learned so much. Finally, I posted episode 137, The February from Hell and the March and April from Heck, on August 6, 2019, during which Wolf and I discussed the particulars of a very odd growing season. Wolf is not the sort of meteorologist you find on television. He's not fancy or brash. He's more the Joe Friday type. You know, just the facts. Except in his case, the facts are not about crime scenes, but about the weather. I also like the fact that Wolf digs in, coming well prepared to our interviews with precise information about what happened in the recent past and what may occur in the future. Like many of us who work office jobs, Wolf has been alternating working from home with going into work. He was at home when I interviewed him virtually on November the 3rd. All of our other interviews were in person at the Weather Service office just outside of Airway Heights. His home is in Spokane where he lives with a wife, two young sons, and a dog, which momentarily interrupted our interview with barking. I originally scheduled a different episode ahead of Wolf, but changed the order because it's nice to have weather information be as timely as possible so the farmers in the audience have a chance to use the knowledge proactively. In the case of this podcast, I think it's important that farmers realize it's not just a La Nina that is forecast for the winter season, but a strong La Nina, which I think is the best kind. I began my conversation with Wolf by reminding him it had been 15 months since our last interview and asked him to provide a roundup of the weather phenomenon that had impacted eastern Washington since that time.
1: Good question. Well, last winter we were in a borderline weak El Nino, but the atmosphere never, never responded to those slightly warmer waters in the central and the eastern equatorial pacific. So really, over the last 15 months, the atmosphere behaved what would normally occur in a neutral year. We did see several storms move in from the west. That tended to leave central Washington dry due to the the frequent downslope flow that occurred off the Cascades and moderate to severe drought developed with locally even extreme drought from Chelan down the Yakima The Wenatchee Airport only had 4.30 inches of precipitation for the water year from October 2019 through September 2020, which was the fourth driest on record.
0: Wow, wow. So, Jeremy, I had many farmers tell me that the 2019-2020 season was just about ideal for winter wheat. At first, as you said, it appeared we were going into a drought, and then the heavens opened and we got moisture we needed when we needed it. And then it was subsequently dry when dry was called for. As a result, we harvested an excellent quality crop. Can you talk about the cropping season weather and how it unfolded?
1: Yeah, so we did go into a very dry period, February, March, and April. During that time frame, we saw strong high pressure develop to our west, so that tended to direct storms both well to our north and east. So, yeah, as we went into April, things were really drying out across the region. And then the weather pattern changed as we went into May and June. The pattern broke down with several storms tracking to the region, so that actually brought us a wetter-than-normal period, uh, for two months, but then as summer arrived in July, August, September, high pressure uh, again strengthened, but this time right over us, which brought us the very dry summer across the area.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Jeremy, I believe this is the fifth episode that we've done together, although the first we've done virtually, unfortunately. I ordinarily contact you when there's been some unusual weather event we can talk about. I haven't reached out before now is because the weather, from my point of view, seemed relatively normal during the growing season. Are there any statistics to back that up?
1: Well, if we average all of the wet and dry periods that we did have during the growing season, then it did finish normal. For our region except the course over central Washington where the drought conditions continue in that area. So uh, that wet period that we had really helped average things out throughout the growing season.
0: And I suppose one could argue that that wet period was abnormal because of how much rainfall did fall.
1: Yeah, it was a wetter than normal period I can't recall exactly what the percentages were, but my memory serves me right. It was around 150% of normal or so, the total precipitation during that period.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So, Jeremy, I was thinking of you when we had that October snowstorm. I think it was October 23rd. I got seven inches of snow at my place on the south hill of Spokane how unusual was that snowstorm and how widespread was it?
1: Uh, It did cover a pretty large area. It was a very unusual storm for this early in the season. The heavy snowfall amounts were focused over a large area from Republic stretching southeast through the Spokane and Coeur d'Alene area into Kellogg with several reports of five to eight inches. But snow did fall in many areas and it did set a record for the snowiest October day on record in Spokane on that particular day on October 23rd with 6.9 inches. Uh, The storm totaled 7.5 inches, which broke a monthly record for October as well. And that heavy, wet snow did lead to downed trees and power outages in the
0: area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it got cold. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, temperatures plummeted in some areas with even some single-digit lows, including Springdale and Chihuahua, which dropped down to 1 degree. got down to 2 degrees in Deer Park, 5 degrees in Davenport, and 7 in Rosalia. And some low-temperature records were broken during that period, including the Spokane Airport on the 26th that dropped down to 14 degrees. (laughs)
0: Oh, my bird. (sighs) Okay, so let's talk about the El Nino, La Nina, and neutral weather phenomenon. Can you quickly explain what is meant by each?
1: Yeah, so in El Nino winters, typically the, the jet stream takes on a split flow pattern with systems tracking to the north and south of our region. The Pacific Jet Stream is typically aimed to our south across California, while the Polar Jet Stream stays bottled up across eastern Canada, keeping our region more in a mild and sometimes dry side. Now, during neutral years, like last year, we tend to see a wide variety of weather as other atmospheric circulations impact our area. Typically, November and December are especially active, with the Pacific jet ushering in frequent storms into the region. And then during La Niña, storms tend to be directed into us from the north and west. So this tends to give us above normal snowfall to our region.
0: You said that we have La Niña in place now. Is it possible to blame that October snowstorm on the developing La Niña? Uh, The weather pattern at that
1: time was one that typically occurs during a La Niña winter. So while there could have been other factors that impacted that snowfall, La Niña could have been one of the contributing factors since the uh, weather pattern at the time was one that would be
0: similar for a La Niña. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Okay, Jeremy, between now until spring, the number one weather consideration for farmers is winter kill, which is associated with a rapid drop in temperatures, say 30 degrees in a matter of 12 hours or so with no snow cover. We haven't had widespread winter kill for years. You might have to go back to uh, 1989, 1991 but once widespread winter kill was about a once every seven year occurrence on average. Are we just lucky or is something else happening?
1: Well, I can't definitively the answer to that, but I can tell you that trends in temperature do show a gradual warming trend with record lows becoming harder to achieve. Studies have shown that since 2000, the number of record-breaking high temperatures is outnumbering the record low temperatures by a ratio of 2 to 1. That means for every two record highs, we we set one record low. It's important to know that we can still get early season cold snaps before snow cover sets in, but perhaps the rapid drop in temperatures with these recent cold snaps haven't had the same impact as some of the previous ones years and years ago.
0: What about these Arctic outbreaks that we talk about? Well, the Arctic
1: outbreaks, they do still come in. And it was a year or two ago that there was a really frigid Arctic air mass just to our north. And it would have brought some record cold temperatures had that dropped down into our area but we were fortunate that it stayed just to our north so if the pattern sets up just right and there's a a really frigid air mass to our north and it just dives completely south, we can still set record low temperatures with arctic air masses and something we always have to keep an
0: eye out for it's just not as likely it sounds like
1: Well, the data again shows that we are breaking more high temperature records compared to low temperature records. Often we are having a harder time achieving the record cold. So not to say that it can't happen, but it is something that has been harder to achieve over the past few decades.
0: Is (laughs) there any way to forecast the likelihood of a winter kill event this season?
1: Uh this is a tough one to predict. We could we, or we would need a cold arctic air mass to settle in prior to snow cover becoming established. Given it's a La Niña winter and the tendency for strong upper ridging to develop to our west in the eastern Pacific Ocean, this may result in our region being more susceptible to these cold snaps. However, each La Niña winter is different, even during strong La Nina years that may be setting up like this one.
0: You indicated a moment ago that the weather influence we were under in the 2019-2020 period was a weak El Nino that presented itself as neutral. Now we're going into a La Nina, but not all La Ninas are alike, are they? There are weak and strong variations. What can you expect this winter for each and do we know at this point, is it a strong or weak La Nina?
1: Well, this winter we're likely heading into a strong La Nina based on current sea surface temperature anomalies in the central and eastern equatorial Pacific being near the minus 1.5 Celsius value. If we see values drop below that for, uh, for a prolonged period for three months, Then the threshold does meet the strong La Nina threshold Uh, but it's important to know that while strong La Nina years often bring an active winter it must be emphasized that all are indeed different and we went back and looked at the past four strong La Nina events dating back to 1998. So let me go through a few of those right now so in the winter of 1998-99 that year we had a strong Pacific jet stream across the region and Mount Baker recorded an astounding 1,140 inches, uh, which is claimed to be the world record for snow. But during that winter, we did have a strong influx of milder air off the Pacific Ocean. So for central and eastern Washington, it actually turned out to be a bit of a milder winter. But in the 2006, 10, 11 strong La Nina winter. That one wasn't as snowy, but we did have more cold snaps with Pullman dropping down to 12 degrees below zero that winter.
0: 12 degrees below zero? Mm Mm-hmm. Jeremy, you just indicated, and, and also in things that I've read, that there is additional moisture in the northwest during La Nina, but there's less moisture across the middle of the country. How does La Niña set circulation that provides such different precipitation levels? Well, typically
1: there's an active jet stream across the northern part of the country including our area. So storms are coming in off the Pacific bringing wet weather to the Pacific Northwest, but downslope flow off the Rockies in this jet stream pattern is leading to downslope in those areas,
0: bringing drier conditions. The Rocky Mountains is what makes the difference.
1: Yes, the Rocky Mountains absorb much of the moisture, and then there's not much left east of the Rocky Mountains as you go into the middle part of the country.
0: So, Jeremy, how sure are you about any of this? And I ask the question because in one of our previous podcasts, You said predicting the weather beyond 10 days was a fool's errand, right?
1: Well, there's always some unpredictability when it comes to winter weather. So while La Nina historically brings cool and wet conditions with above normal snow, each one is different. Other oscillations in the atmosphere impact our weather, and typically these are only predictable one to two weeks out into the future can bring a different weather pattern compared to what one would expect during a
0: La Niña winter. In other words, it might be a La Niña winter, which will set the stage for the weather in general, but that doesn't mean outbreaks of non-La Niña-like weather can occur, too. You just never know, do you? Farming with a partner as fickle as the weather isn't boring, that's for sure. I hope you enjoyed my fifth podcast with the National Weather Service meteorologist, Jeremy Wolf, who holds the record for the most individual interviews on this show. Thanks for listening, and please join me here again next week for another episode of the Washington Grain Commission-sponsored podcast, Weed All About It! We love the land, the farm's our career, but make no mistake, we do not steer. Mother Nature's in the driver's seat, I'm talking life and I'm talking wheat. We're riding shotgun and we have our say, but Mrs. N, she points the way, we feed you.